It was a dark and stormy night, and a very silly man in Detroit, Michigan, was foolishly loading up his vehicle with podcast recording equipment. And folks, that's how most good stories start, but that's the absolute truth. When I interviewed Joe Troop, I was loading up my car in the middle of the night for this 1 a.m. interview amidst torrential downpour, hazardous weather warnings, road closures, and, uh, you know, I, I have to admit, and do not tell Joe this, I, I did have some second thoughts about what am I doing? I shouldn't be driving out in this, but uh, I knew that I would be happy that I did, and as it turns out, we all survived, and I am happy that I did, because... He has a new album out called Borrowed Time, which we are going to discuss in depth. And I was thrilled to be able to speak with him about it. And I'm glad to be able to have you hear it as well. So on that same note, I'd like to extend the thanks to my good friends, Aaron Jonah Lewis and Grace Vanthoff for providing their safe, warm and dry home slash podcast recording studio for me and Joe to get together to do this interview. So yeah, thanks, friends. It's it's not a small request to barge in in the middle of the night to do this. But folks, in case you are new around here, I am Keith Billick, and this is the Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast. I'm really happy to have you joining me, and this is the place to talk all about banjos, banjo music, banjo players, banjo playing. I think you get the point. And just in case these episodes aren't enough banjo content for you and you want to have further banjo discussions with me and maybe some fellow listeners as well, you really need to know about the Picky Fingers VIP Lounge for very important pickers. And that is a monthly Google Meet hangout uh, with, again, me and your fellow listeners to discuss banjo playing and whatever else comes up. I hope you're hearing this in time because this month's VIP Lounge is this upcoming Sunday, November 28th at 12 p.m. noon Eastern time. And anybody who subscribes to the podcast at the $4 per month or above level gets that special meeting link. You can go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to become a supporter of the show, get your invites to the VIP lounge and all sorts of other special prizes. And one of those rewards is a personal shout out on the show. And today's shout out goes to supporter Drew Cummins. Drew sounds like he has worn many hats in his life from software engineer to underwater videographer, snorkeling with whale sharks, all the way to riding motorcycles and doing concert photography. He's done a lot of stuff and it sounds really interesting, but of course the most important aspect of that is that he's a banjo player and a supporter of this show. So Drew, I really appreciate your support. Uh, once again, patreon.com slash banjo podcast to find out how you can become a supporter if you dig the show. Chitos 
Today we have a freshly picked episode looking at the new album called Borrowed Time by Joe Troop. Many of you are already familiar with Joe. He was profiled way back in episode 25 about his personal banjo journey. That journey includes recording with the band Che Apalache, who was nominated for a Grammy and had their most recent album produced by Bebele Fleck. He's going to give us an update on what that band is up to. Spoiler alert, it's not much, which is uh, very sad for me because I loved their music, but... I'm happy to hear Joe's new project sprout up, and uh, in typical Joe Troop fashion, it has outstanding songs, outstanding singing, outstanding playing, and perhaps most importantly, a host of important social messages that uh, Joe believes in very strongly, and those strong feelings really come through his music. So open your ears. He takes the banjo to tons of new places that... I've never heard before, but I find really fascinating and enjoyable to listen to. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Joe Troop about his new album called Borrowed Time. All right, Joe, first of all, how you doing, man? You've been on the podcast before, but this is actually our first chance to sit together. Aaron did your interview last time, so... Yeah, that How was at Galax uh, many moons ago. Things are great. I'm I'm glad to be on the road, even though being on the road right now is crazy because there's a lot of cancellations and attendance is rather rather low, particularly for indoor events. But nonetheless, it's still great. It's like a sense of purpose uh, kind of issue. And uh, the pandemic was rough for not just me, but for a lot of musicians because the sense of purpose is, is kind of gone. You know, you want to share... Music, music is to be shared, and sharing it on screens is kind of lame. So yeah. I'm just happy to be on tour right now. Yeah, and speaking of which, you know that I'm a, a huge Che Apalache fan, and I'm almost scared to ask, but it, it seems like they, Che Apalache might be a casualty of the pandemic it somewhat. Is. It definitely is. Uh, <laughs> immigration has been forever changed immigration in the United States, you know, the dismantling of the USCIS. Uh, there's very few flights between the countries still. Um, it's very hard to get a ticket. It's even harder to get a, a decently priced ticket. And then there's quarantine on both sides. I mean, there's a lot of issues that make it. I would say this, it's barely possible to tour as an American based trio that I have <laughs> now, but much. You know, of, yeah. Yeah. And having an international band, uh, now is just incredibly challenging, impossible. It's impossible. Right. There's also no, I mean, like I mentioned, the USCIS is backlogged. You know, there's they furloughed a lot of their staff. That's the visa processing entity. So getting, you know, three P3 artists visas right now is uh, very hard. You know, this is a lot of, a lot of um, difficulties uh, in, in the process and also the risk of being a business owner and, and pursuing this international with the cancellations and everything. Yeah, it's I mean, hard. It, to, it just, it just makes no sense at all. Like, right. it, like I said, even doing it with a band based here is still incredibly risky yeah. endeavor. And, uh, so you'd have to be crazy to, <laughs> to try to do that. And, and I already, you know, 
it that that's what the pandemic illuminated to me how volatile the situation was how my business model was very mm-hmm. volatile and uh yeah I definitely paid the consequences there ain't gonna lie when the pandemic hit it was rough getting everyone back home not just that cl- cleaning up the finances we were at week four of an 11 week tour oh. and that that created a lot of problems for the llc owner which is me you know mm-hmm. i i had i had more tied up in in that band that I realized because, you know, you, you just, you build a tour, but a lot of the airlines that we had domestic flights booked on went bankrupt. So I've got, I got tons of flight vouchers, but holding the bag. Yeah. But there's no money. Right. So a lot, I mean, those are, those are some of the issues, uh, print, you know, we, we stockpiled merch. We were getting ready for a year of touring. So, you know, my brother's basement is just full of, of Chapalache stuff. (laughs) Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, we were planning to be on the road a lot. So that it was financially a burden, but then it was also illuminating like, oh yeah, the times are different. Like the pre-pandemic world is different than the post-pandemic world. And, uh, and we're those, still navigating that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sustainability is is also something to really consider these days. And I think uh, Chiapalache, when we, we, were, we were living something that was it seems like a parallel universe, like the kind of lives that we were living continent jumping constantly, you know, three or four times, if not five times back and forth between the United States and Argentina every year, 40 domestic flights or more. There's a lot of airplanes involved, a lot of fossil fuels, a lot of every, I mean, it was just, it's just kind of an unsustainable thing when you look at it now from a post pandemic lens. So I don't know. I'd, I'd love to, you know, none of us wanted everything we had put our, um, efforts into for so many years to just die, but it kind of, uh, it kind of did. Now yeah. Paul's in Mexico, Martin and Franco in Buenos Aires, and I'm roaming around the United States. <laughs> it's not like we're seeing each other, collaborating artistically. We're just right. that's just what happened. Well, I I mourn that loss, but it is good to see you out playing music. And specifically, we're here to talk about the new album, which you managed to create during the pandemic which is mm-hmm. which is awesome was that an entirely pandemic project like did you write most of these uh in the last year i wrote a lot of them in the last year i got this gig curating music to an interview series that i was doing illuminating progressive voices from across the state of north carolina and this like get out the vote initiative uh web series called picking for progress so i got to make up songs for each episode and i wrote a lot of the stuff in that process, like oh. the rise of Dream of Caldwell, Hermano Migrante, Horizon, uh-huh. um, Love Along the Way, off the top of my head, those are the ones that come to mind. But a lot of the the music on that album, Borrowed Time, came out of you know working with other people. It's kind of like a community-influenced songwriting experiment in a way. But then uh, some of the stuff, like the instrumental banjo pieces, Sevilla and Shangos uh, Palas, I had been whittling away at those okay. uh, for years. And uh, some of the other songs, like Heaven on Earth, I had written. We had an arrangement with Chiapalache, you know? I'm trying to think. Uh, Pretty Little Rainbows, I had just finished the form when the pandemic hit. Like, okay. we had just worked it up with that band. So these are songs that I was working on. Some of them were songs that I that I had, you know, had been working on for a minute. Uh, Red, White, and Blues, I literally wrote a... a 
a month before going into the studio. Right. And uh, the guitar is something I'd never really played, you know, certainly not on stage. I would have uh -huh. never done that. But in the pandemic, I had so much time to just sit around and, and pick. I, I got to work on my flat picking and, yeah. uh, and I got a, a, a Gibson, what is it? LG two or three. I think that's what the model. I'm really bad at this kind of thing, but yeah. I, but I got I got a vintage guitar, a 1951 Gibson guitar, and it it really kept me good company in the pandemic. It was like wow, tone, oh my gosh, yeah, need to use it somehow. Yeah, and so cool. I just sat around and worked on my flat picking, and now I can kind of do that better, and I'm doing it more. So, but for the uh, most part, you're back on banjo, which of course is uh, great yeah. news to to myself and a bunch of listeners so that's cool yeah man banjos you know because i played fiddle with jabalache a lot of people didn't realize that that's that's a band that i started with my students you uh -huh. know like paul was the banjo player but paul was my prize pupil like he was the he was my best banjo student but he was nonetheless my banjo student you know mm -hmm. like i'm a banjo player uh so jabalache i was playing the fiddle i love the fiddle but it's frustrating to me because i i didn't have you know, it's, I, I started kind of late on fiddle. I started, you know, basically at 18 and, uh, it, you know, whatever. And this is still very young, clearly, but yeah. you know, um, it's kind of like I had to catch up and I never really felt like doing what you have to do to become <laughs> like an, inc an incredibly proficient fiddler. Uh, you still feel like banjo is yeah, a little banjo, more your you thing. Know, banjo, yeah, I, it is. It just always has been. I mean, everyone's everyone. I mean, to my ears, you're, you're, very comfortable on both, so I'm, it's I think just I'm, interesting to hear you say the that. The banjo I have, uh, banjo is what lit me up when I was young, yeah. so like you know, fifteen. That's when I I really dug in. So the hours that I logged in, you know, in that phase in my life where it was all music all the time, mm -hmm. I did that on banjo. It's in there deep. It's yeah. in there deep. And then you know, I just kind of when I started doing it on fiddle, I had to basically abandon banjo for several years just to get through that initial learning curve of fiddle, which is such a demanding instrument, you know, mm -hmm. but I never lost the, the banjo thing that I've got. I mean, it was, it's definitely deep down in me and it kind of saved my life. Like the banjo was, was there when I, I needed to pour all of my frustrations into something. And that's where that, it happened on this, on this Frankenstein box of wood and metal, this weird thing. We call yeah, banjo nuts and screws. Yep. So let's get into the to the music here. The first track is Horizon, and that seems to be more or less like a call to activism, or at least a certain type of compassion and awareness in the face of like some scary climate dark change. stuff that's happening. Yeah, climate change. Yeah. You know, being the first track, I imagine you view that as the main theme of the album. Yeah. Is that is that about right? Well. It definitely, I mean, it. Mother Earth is what sustains our lives. So yeah, I mean that is that is the the theme we are facing right now, more than all others in some way. Though there's so many things we could talk about, and I, and I try to on this album. This album is very topical. There's a lot of topical material. Yeah, it hits on, it, on a few specific ones. That's for sure. But like I said, I mean a lot of a lot of the material in the album came out of a, a very topical endeavor, which is being like the host of a, a web series and interviewing people about yeah. certain issues, you know, ending cash bail or, you know, um, escaping the pitfalls of division-based politics or the migrant crisis, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so this first song is, is what I like about it is it came out of an interview that I did with, uh, I actually wrote the song for one of the episodes of Big and for Progress. I wrote it after meeting the, 
these two young women who were co-directors of their high school chapter of Extinction Rebellion. One of them was, her name's Jacqueline, uh, Jacqueline Dean. Uh, she's Vietnamese American. Mm-hmm. And Laura Saavedra is Colombian American. And, I, and I, I listen to a lot of music from all over the world. And I've listened yeah. to a lot of Southeast Asian music and, you know, this pentatonic kind of... Like this kind of... Yeah. Like kind of like it, it has like a vibe that is reminiscent of what my brain would call Southeast Asian kind of like a... It reminds me of like um, like Laotian kene or like uh, what you might hear like a, a free reed instrument do. So mixing that with, yeah, you know, like I, like I sing like in a really high falsetto. Like keep a drone going with my voice. a lot of cool um interesting yeah. stuff you can explore like vocally with the banjo which hasn't been done that much i mean john harford played and sang at the same time some banjo players have done that um but not not many have done it well you know it's and it's particularly hard i guess to disassociate the right hand from actually i don't know what i was even saying i just know it was it was hard for me to play and sing at the same time at the beginning i think was, that's why you probably don't hear more of it because it is it's a, i just think a it's hard at, thing hard to at do. the beginning yeah you just kind of have to like exist in two spheres simultaneously it's not like I don't, for some reason i feel like it's easier to do that on guitar and in some even some ways it's easier to do that on fiddle but you have to worry about intonation a whole lot more yeah but uh, banjos, banjos kind of cool in that way. So, yeah, Horizon has that kind of what what I feel like is an Asian flair, and then kind of like a with the with the verses. Mother Earth, Mother Earth is burning. Holy hell, the flames! I'm kind of doing like a unison. Yeah. Send us rain down hard across creation. Deadly waters rise across the hurricanes. What we've left for future generation. This is like a. Kind of like a South American, right? Those are kind of like syncopations you would more hear in like chacarera guitar or cuatro venezolano, um, or like a charango. Was that charango? Yeah, charango has that too. But I think more like I'm more. I listen to a lot more like Venezuelan folk music, like cuatro. Cuatro is a very awesome instrument, and. Mm you know, we just doing this on steel strings, yeah. and like you kind of, kind of give it a hit, like I'm, I'm muting. There's a lot you can do with yeah. that technique. That's straight up chacarera. Of course, you have to do it like you don't get the full rajillo like you've got because you got picks on. So you have to do it with your ring and your pinky. But it's mostly, I guess my pinky kind of hits it, but it's mostly my my in uh, my ring finger in my right hand. And for everyone who can't see him, which is Everybody, he's also using doing that strum above what, like the fourteenth fret or something yeah, like, like somewhere way up the around. Neck. Yeah, some I, is that I, more for like a tone? I, well, I like the slap around the fourteenth. Oh, fret. yeah, that makes sense. Like it just has like yeah. a nicer tone, you know. I don't know in the context, it doesn't really sound good out of context, but in the context, it sounds like it hits harder. So I don't know. I just ex- I explored it in different places, and there it feels like it. It has it kind of more seated. Of course, you're always taming it. 
I think even mm-hmm. like I've gotten better since I recorded the album. You can hear it. I think it sounds kind of brash, quite frankly, when I listen to it now. But my execution is getting better at that technique as I go along. Yeah, yeah. But it's I'm, kind of robbed from my banjo teacher in high school, Craig Smith. He does a kind of like a like a, a frailing sort of thing with his right index, uh, with his right ring finger, yeah, for like, you know, jazz comping or something. He had a really beautiful yeah. tone with that. So I just kind of copied that from him and expanded on it. I love hearing you tease out where you got some of these influences, whether that's the, uh, what did you say, Vietnamese and then the, yeah. the more South American. Of course, that's not really a surprise for people who know your music to to hear that there's multicultural influences happening. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just like, that's my that's what I like. I like different music from all over the world and different cultures and try to be, you know, respectful of the traditions. Yeah, I think there's a huge conversation comparing it because you're also, how many languages are you fluent in? Three? Mm, fluency is one of those terms. I mean, I can, right. I can hold very good conversations in... Like Spanish, it's basically native level fluency, uh, as close as you can get. I speak Japanese very conversationally. When I get the cranks cranking again after you know a couple months, you yeah. have to I have to get back into it, you know, which I did in 2017, but it's been a minute now. But uh, once once I get back in, once I get that chip activated, I can I can vibe very well in Japanese, and I speak really bad French. But I imagine that extracting the essences of those different styles of music is probably a lot like getting your accent to sound right. Totally. Yeah. Foreign language. Yeah. Those are the parallels. Absolutely. Yeah. Always think about that kind of stuff. Love along the way, the bluegrass song. Yeah. That's like, uh, you know, on the album I did it in, in D doing it in E flat because I was already in B flat. So I've been, I've been playing a lot of old time three finger style banjo, just like rolling with this fiddler named Negosi Fields uh, that I've been working with a lot during the pandemic. He's a good buddy. And uh, other people had tried to get me hip to this before, like notably Aaron Jonah Lewis. <laughs> but I, I paid him no mind, and I never really got old time. Until the pandemic, it became this very cathartic activity. I don't usually so. pay attention to what he says either. <laughs> He's a sweetie. But anyway, uh, it finally... It finally like they were, you know, Aaron was always like, you, you should, you should play old time. It's like medicine. And I was like, okay, whatever. And then in the pandemic, I was like, oh my God, he was right. So it became kind of just rolling the banjo. Anyway, so Negosi really had a lot of influence on that track. He's like, we should do a more old time treatment. So you know how to do that. Like that, that's like, a, I open with like kind of like a flashy bluegrassy kind of solo, but most of what I'm doing. that kind of stuff like straight up you know bluegrass of your uh minimalist keep it rolling it's pretty straight up straight up yeah yeah try to do that and that's tim singing with you on that yeah tim o'brien so tim tim played mandolin masterfully uh in his tim way and uh sang on that track negosi played guitar uh, we recorded it live. Um, I was on banjo, Tim was on mandolin, Negosi was on guitar. Then Negosi added bass and fiddle. So that's like the Negosi track. Okay, <laughs> the showcase. Yeah, nice. but uh, we so the the concept was uh, it became more of an old time feel, which I like. 
but of course, it starts with kind of like a bluegrass banjo solo. Mm-hmm. So kind of bluegrass meets old time uh, in a, in a respectful way. Kind of like I I grew up at you know the Galax Fiddlers Convention where you have both mm-hmm. styles of music pretty evenly represented. And by old time, you don't mean claw hammer. You mean more just sort of hammering well, the, that melody and yeah, a lot of well, just... That, I mean, with, what I learned is that old time three finger banjo is a thing, you know, it's mm-hmm. like, it's a style. And it, I mean, there's a lot of recordings, I think from the Midwest, mostly of uh, three finger banjo players accompanying old time music. And it sounds great. And, you know, thankfully it escapes from all that gobbledygook. Bluegrass has so much um, annoying, like overplaying and, mm-hmm. you know, musical masturbation uh, that I less and less of a tolerance for. In fact, I have no tolerance for it at all now. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. And, for, and I did it for many, many years. So, and I mean, this is someone who went through the, that, those phases yeah. of like, <sighs> and I just came to realize it doesn't do it for me anymore. But like, I, what I like about old time is it's much more melody centric. Um, but the groove center is much tighter and it's it's less it's not about passing around solos the whole passing around solo thing seems lame to me these days so i, I you know I, I i strive to like you know when i'm playing three finger banjo in that style just to, you know really make sure the groove center's protected and just do my job yeah and so anyway love totally. along the way is kind of like that on the album nice going back to talking about tim i've always thought that you and him do have like a pretty similar vocal timbre to your to that your voice. That would be because that... I've totally copied him. Okay, that's who I studied. <laughs> I studied his inflection. I studied him. He was my favorite singer. Like I wanted to be, I wanted to sing just like Tim O'Brien. I wanted to play in all the instruments and sing with him just like Tim O'Brien. And he's one of the first guys that I saw doing all that. And yeah. so he's my like consummate uh, musical hero growing up. And now, you know, I get to be friends with him. He's on my album. So it's like, it's a and cool it's moment. In, no wonder that it in life sounds, sounds real good then. I depend on you, neighbor. What we need is change. Let our heels hit the pavement and the peace flag wave. Clear across the mountains or the prairies wide. There's a new day at dawn, but we can't waste time. I'll hold your hand if you hold mine. Yeah, it's, it was. I mean, it was just like it was really uh, special for me, for sure, and for Negosi, you know, getting to work with him. He was so chill, you know. He just came in. He was like, "Hey, what are we doing? Let's, yeah, let's do that. Cool, man. Yeah." He just. Oh, and jammed. you have to play four of the instruments. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think yeah, he played uh, mandolin, uh, fiddle, and guitar on the album, which is really dope. So yeah, the next one, "The Rise of Dream of Caldwell," that was the. I think. I think you mentioned the fact that there is a, a cash bail topic song and, and this would be it and this is recounting the the story of a real life person who went for through like a pretty horrendous experience and yeah. um g- give us the quick rundown of who Dreama Caldwell is. So Dreama was the manager at a daycare in I believe Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And one of her employees left a child on the school bus all day and it was a really hot day. The child was thankfully 
uh, fine, but you know she took the full, she took the hit because she was the manager. So she, you know, they had a, they issued a warrant for her arrest, and she had to go in, and they slapped her with a forty thousand dollar like cash bail, uh, which was an arbitrary figure decided by some jerk magistrate. You know, happens all the time. I mean, yeah. this guy just forty thousand could have been two thousand, could have been four thousand. He picked forty thousand. He just slapped this person uh, who was already struggling with a huge bail, and, and it ruined her life. You know, and so then through the years since two thousand fifteen, she empowered herself. She started working with uh, down home North Carolina to um, you know unpack what was happening in her county and to her and how, how that could even be possible. And then it was pretty clear that, you know, cash bail reform was a platform she was going to run on because Alamance County is uh, slapping poor people with exorbitant bonds that they can't uh, pay. And then, and then they end up in their pr- prison system. And um, it's a, it's, it's a very exploitative industry. Uh, the carceral system in the United States is an industry and 75% of the people in Jail in the United States haven't even been convicted of a crime. 75? 75% of the people in jail in the United States right now have not been convicted of a crime. They just could not pay their bail, mm-hmm. and they're waiting for their trial. I've done a, a bit of criminal defense work, so I've seen part of that firsthand, too. I didn't mm-hmm. realize it was 75%, though. That's Yeah, it's crazy. That's astonishing. It's crazy. I mean, that's a, when, you, when you hear that figure, you're like, no, that's not vetted, but certainly is. And anyway, the, the song I, I wrote about Dreama... Uh, while you know, like um, interviewing her, um, it's kind of like it's kind of it, it's it's definitely a ballad. It's like like a Stanley Brothers. Alamance County Jailhouse back in 2015, in a place where the biggest crooks get off scot free. Hard working mama went weak in the knee. Decree. I go through all the verses like that. Yeah. And then there's this chorus that uh, I really wanted to work in, like something more like, you know, Black Church in North Carolina. And that's how wound up here. I'm not going to sing it full volume, but this kind of like, this is not Stanley Brothers. Right. It's like a mix of you know gospel soul and well, when the gospel really comes back uh yeah there's a gospel choir at, at, at the end it's it's a yeah that was a choir up. of dreama and her community members and that turned into the alamance justice choir like that we they got we got all those people together for the recording on my album and then they said oh let's keep doing this and now they're gonna they're doing it at protests and they're getting together to sing and still it, uh to my knowledge yeah oh that's cool and is that charlie hunter too yeah, Charlie Hunter made a guitar cameo on two tracks on the album. How that's Charlie Hunter recently relocated to Greensboro. I met him through the Picking for Progress series because I was working with Sam Frybush, who's an incredible okay. uh, organist and pianist. Okay, you got what my question was going to be. Yeah, how did I meet Charlie yeah. Hunter? Well, I had met Charlie, yeah. and uh, we hung out in, in Greensboro a little bit, and then. He's also friends with the my co-producer and the engine guy who engineered and mixed and mastered the album, Jason Richmond, incredible, you know, triangle North Carolina guy. And so he's like, Joe, you I think you need Charlie on this. And I was like, Well, if Charlie will do it, that'd be awesome. And then he called yeah. him up and he was like, Yeah, I'd love to. Because Charlie's into the activism thing, you know? 
Oh, okay. So he, you know, he gave props to my music, but I think what really inspired him to do this, because, you know, Charlie, everyone wants Charlie Hunter on their album, but I think uh, that the fact that I'm using this music in conjunction with uh, grassroots, like North Carolina activism, mm -hmm. uh, kind of compelled him more. So, yeah, that's yeah, great. And I'm God, he killed it. You know, he absolutely, yeah, it's like, a really cool a contribution. Ton, yeah. Oh, it certainly is. And so, and so is Sam Freibush's uh, organ playing on that track, as, as is Brevin Hamden's, you know, drumming and mm -hmm. uh, Trey Boudreaux's bass and Lizzie Ross's harmony vocals and the whole Alamance Justice Choir. I mean, it's a big track. It's a yeah. big sound. It was, yeah, it really is. We've seen those tracks when we tracked that bass and when we were, when we were editing it, it was like, wow, Jason, you're a superhero, man. Yeah, so that's cool. It's cool to hear the banjo also in that deep of a pocket. You know, it's very present and it's very, and it, it is not obtrusive. Like it, I think it sounds. St still talking about the part at the end there. Yeah, and the, well, and throughout the whole thing, it's a very banjo driven song. It's mm -hmm. still it's still very much there. It's like, uh, but it doesn't get in the way. That's the whole point. You know, like banjo can oftentimes get in the way. It's kind of an annoying instrument. I think that's just part of this. It's just a cantankerous uh, heart, particularly the five-string uh, bluegrass resonator banjo. It's just like very meh. It's like, hi, I'm a banjo. I mean, it's like a bagpipe or something. So putting it in certain ensembles is difficult without being cheesy. So you have to restrain it. So, you know, uh, there's a lot of restraint on this album particularly in the in the big ensemble. I think um, that's probably something that helps with you being also the lead vocalist as I as I feel like yeah, you it's more catered have to a the natural voice. it's more catered to the response. voice. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's supposed to it's the the voice is front and center more than the banjo, but it's definitely this is a banjo album pretty clearly. Right. You know, yeah. like it's definitely a banjo album. Hey folks, it's time for me to introduce you to a brand new Picky Fingers sponsor, and that's GHS Strings. Now, GHS might be a new sponsor, but uh, they're definitely not new to the string business. They've been making some of the best banjo strings on the market since 1964. They use their proprietary lock twist on the plain steel strings for incredible stability, extra large loops for easy installations on any tailpiece, and a wide range of gauged sets for every player. My personal favorite that I've been using for years is the PF145s, but they do have a lot of options for uh, whatever your preference is. And they're very durable, have a long lifespan, and probably my favorite part is that these things are made right down the street from me in Battle Creek, Michigan. So not only do I think they are the best strings out there, but I can feel good about supporting a local company. And I'm not the only one who thinks very highly of their strings. GHS strings are also used by J.D. Crow, Sonny Osborne, Todd Taylor, Bela Fleck, and a lot more. So go check out what they have to offer at their website, ghsstrings.com. The Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is proud to be sponsored by Peghead Nation. With Peghead Nation's streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, You'll learn bluegrass, old-time, and other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in Roots music. PegheadNation.com features a great lineup of banjo instruction, with courses including Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward-style banjo with Bruce Molsky, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, 
and contemporary bluegrass banjo with Wes Corbett. Each course includes high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play with. So what I need you to do is join any of Peghead Nation's video courses, and you're going to get your first month's free uh, just by being a Picky Fingers listener. Go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code PICKYFINGERS at checkout. That's all one word, all lowercase. And once again, that gets you your first month free at pegheadnation.com. The Picky Fingers podcast is also sponsored by Elderly Instruments, which is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted instruments. We all know how cool it is to be able to support the locally owned mom and pop businesses rather than going to the big box stores. Well, with Elderly Instruments, you're getting a place that's been family-owned since 1972, located in Lansing, Michigan, but they do ship worldwide. However, shopping at Elderly Instruments doesn't mean a compromise in quality. They have a vast selection of acoustic and electric guitars, banjos, ukuleles, mandolins, and all the accessories and books you might need. They have a world-renowned repair shop that sets up all the instruments, and perhaps most importantly, a down-to-earth knowledgeable sales staff that is there to help you with anything you need from advice on the high-dollar vintage instrument that you're looking for right down to what picks you should buy. They're happy to help, and they're just a phone call or an internet search away. Go to elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880 and tell them Picky Fingers sent you. Hermano Bigrante. Yeah, Hermano Bigrante. How would you dissect the the vocal style of this? Is, would, would it be like Norteño cowboy ballad or something? Yeah, like that? pretty much. It's like it's like it's highly influenced by northern Mexican music, and that was the target audience. I was talking to migrant, my brother migrants. Mm-hmm. Thing it's more like a very slow corrido. Nacer en otro lado Dice no eres de aquí Mientras sin tus esfuerzos Ni podrían vivir Gritan calla migrante Esperanza no hay Do you work without papers? Keep us fed and go die And I wanted I wanted it to register with those people and I got Rolando Revilla to play accordion on it. Okay. You know, I flew him down to the Nashville session uh, to play accordion. He's he I, I'm working with the president of a farm labor organizing committee, Guadalimar Velasquez, and the uh, his right hand man right now musically is Rolando Revilla. So I met Rolando through like my organizing uh, mentor. And uh, Mr. Velasquez is also a musician. Yeah, he also okay. is a musician. I'm playing with him this fall and, and on several occasions, and I'm doing a documentary about him 
the continuation of Picking for Progress and doing it on okay. Balde Mar Velasquez and how music, how music makes the movement. Anyway, but through Balde Mar, I met Rolando, and Rolando came and gave that conjunto kind of like Tejano accordion oh, yeah. to the track, and it's beautiful. Banjo right. meets accordion, you know, it's, it's a special kind of... Uh, I love that track. Yeah, I usually love, banjo love, and accordion, there's a... There's usually a punchline to be had yeah. when those two get together, but yeah, no, banjo, it's a wonderful track. Accordion, yeah. I mean, and uh, Tim O'Brien played guitar masterfully. Negosi played bass, uh, you know, and Trey, actually, the bassist on nine of the 12 tracks of the album, played snare drum on that track. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting yeah. mix of guys on that particular, uh, on that particular track. Totally. Uh, Sevilla, I got, I got to ask, I know you're a Craig Smith student, but this almost made me wonder if you're also a Rex McGee protege. I know yeah. he's from around yeah. there too. Yep. Yeah. I, and I, this I, sounded uh, like something that could be yeah, he on would, like one of those <laughs> 24 yeah, inventions. Yeah, for tracks. sure. Uh, so I, you know, Rex, I've known Rex since I was a kid. I met him when I was 15 or 16 and he was uh, always very supportive as well. And I spent a lot of time following him around and, and listening to his music and watching his weird techniques, mm-hmm. all the stuff he would invent. So what are some, the, the other part of this, of course, as the name suggests, is that it's a more Spanish-influenced yeah, well, uh, uh, flamenco so, piece. And what, what would you say the elements, I'll, I'll let you too. Well, yeah, so uh, when I was 19, I got, you know, I, I was at UNC Chapel Hill for <clears throat> my freshman year. And then the next year, I, for the next two years, sophomore and junior year, I was in Seville, in Sevilla. And I was exposed to flamenco. So, you know, like, you know, the buleria, getting the buleria feel, it's kind of like the best thing I could do on banjo. What I'm doing there, it's kind of like hitting with my uh, two free fingers and picking behind the behind the, uh, the bridge yeah. rake. So. Phrygian stuff. That's actually really hard, like barring with your index and, <laughs> yeah. and like kind of like a, it's a very awkward technique. I feel like I have to pick my elbow way up. Uh-huh. I do a lot of yeah. You know, like pressing the banjo head, right? Giving Get it some kind of like little a vibrato. Thing. Yeah, and there's a lot of you know, there's just a lot of kind of like fireworks on that track with cajon and and bass. It just sounds cool. Yeah, so I, cool. I'd been whittling that composition out for a while, doing like you know triplets, like you know, like this kind of like kind of I don't even out of context. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on up the neck. Is that pretty similar to that? Um, I'm thinking of that the the song that you described as a Stevie Wonder song. And, yeah, that's, and a, that's not like on the a, album. That's like a right. I know that, but oh yeah, that I do that technique. Yeah, that, that, like uh, at the end. Yeah, that's kind of like a... Um, okay. Yeah, I do that a lot. <laughs> Similar kind of idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that. You know, and I do that on that new song, Whirlwind, too. Like a, right. Like a, 
it's actually really hard. I'm lost in a world. Yeah. Trying to give like big the bigger intervals on the banjo and kind of like cover more like crazy lengthy arpeggiations. Yeah, kind of, you know, it just widens the sound a little bit. Kind of sounds more. Are you able to play just a little bit of that really slow? I'm having tr- <laughs> uh, like uh, uh, which which part uh, of which um, uh, the, whirlwind the one I just did. Yeah, yeah, just any of those real stretch patterns. So the. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. Talk about, you know, we were talking earlier about how difficult it can be to sing and play at the same time. Yeah, that's that was the, that, I've been working on that song for a long time. It's hard. It's yeah. hard. Yeah, that's insane. And I mean, it took a long time to get that together. And it's not even really together yet. I'm going to have to really, I mean, it's pretty there now that I'm playing with a percussionist who's obscenely metronomic. Like, I'm like my flaws were Oh, I'm speeding up there. Oh, that's where I'm lagging behind. And it becomes it becomes more obvious. So I, there's some metronome that's going to have to happen before I really get that track to where it's going to need to be before recording or something, you know. But at least the the split brain thing that you yeah, need to play. Yeah, the split brain's there. I mean, like to yeah. do like like that. There's those lines. I'm lost in a world. Like I'm not thinking. I could basically talk over this. And do it. <laughs> Because I've done it so many times, right? Like I, you have to be able to do that. Yeah, I used to tell that to my yeah. students. Is that that's how good your roles need to be? Is yeah, you've got to. You have to. You have to be able to. Like it just has to be in your hand, in your hands, you know. And then, then you can try to find the. Once you get used to like the weird t- pulling and tugging of certain areas of the phrasing when you're connecting when you're. Because those quintuplets versus like the moments that are a total brain fuck, and you're like, and you just got to do them really slow, and and then then it becomes second nature on us music. Skipping up to Prisonero, did I say? Yeah, that's probably Prisonero. That might be my favorite track on the album in some way because it's so like so Argentinian. I feel like it's a really. Yeah, I was gonna ask, is that a tango? No, that's Uh, more like. Chacarera or samba, you know, like there's okay. so like the motive. I use that kind of that's chacarera, chacarera, and then um, yeah. Stylistically, incredibly Argentinian, but but I think well achieved on banjo. So I'm I'm proud of that one. You know, yeah, I'm really proud of that one. Yeah, it's really great. To, again, very, it, it, very theatrical too. Yeah, I, yeah, I really it's, love that. It's incredibly, you know, I love that it goes kind of like. It's 
very uh, charango. That's like very like Andean music. And I think it's real well suited on banjo. Those are weird chords, you know, you've got wide voice yeah there's a lot of um, interesting challenges to try to get like Andean music to or northwestern Argentinian music to kind of sound cool on banjo but I'm like I said I'm really proud of that one yeah yeah it's a fantastic one did that melody come to you as a a vocal melody before it landed on the the banjo you know I wrote it on fiddle believe it or not I wrote it on fiddle and I played it with uh Chiapalache, you know, and then, oh. then I worked out this banjo arrangement um, for the Picking for Progress series. It's like, I bet that'd sound cool on banjo. And then I got really fond of it, you know, I like, Prisos, prisionero de tu frio corazón, vilai. Ah, it's really open, like, Ando libre por la sierra de alto monte it's just a beautiful it like it works amazingly well as as a vocal accompaniment. Yeah. The banjo yeah. is so cool it's for beautiful. that. It really yeah. has a lot of uh it has a lot to offer. More than I think has been explored for singer-songwriters, you know. And that's that's my real what I want my contribution to uh, to humanity at the moment to be. Like I want to sing and play banjo simultaneously. I just think it's so much fun. I love instrumental pieces for banjo, mm-hmm. but you know, more I like the challenge of, of playing and singing at the same time. I think it's a very, very cool uh <laughs> it's extremely cool. Thing. I love I love hearing you do it. I I wish uh I wish I could do either one of those things, you know, anywhere close to that. Mercy for migrants. We definitely need to to stop and talk about this one for a minute. Yeah, I don't um, play banjo on that trick. I for, play fiddle. That's the one fiddle. F- that's like well, the that's one of the feature. things we need to, to to talk about is your is yeah, your guest banjo substitute. Player. Yeah, your stunt stunt banjo guy. Yeah, I got Bela on that trick. Who? Uh, Bela Fleck. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's this guy. He's pretty who plays good. Banjo. Yeah, he's pretty awesome. <laughs> and Abigail Washburn sang. Yeah, that, you know, I, because you know Bela produced Chiapalache, so that's how I knew him. I I met Bela because of my banjo playing, though. Like before. You know, like he's always been a, a big supporter of what I'm exploring on banjo. In order to meet Bela, I sent him the material that I had done with Diego Sanchez. For years, I worked with this bassist uh, who's like an Edgar Meyer protege in Buenos Aires. And we had this whole duo kind of inspired by what Bela and Edgar had done, you know? Oh. So, I mean, we were very much uh, fangirling out. And I was just like, hey, look at the stuff we I sent him, like, you know, this tango that I had done with Bela. I mean, not with Bela, with Diego. Right. And uh, and he he liked it. That's how I got the invite uh, to the camp. Okay. And then I was like, hey, could I come with my students? Because I started a band with my students. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. I mean, it would give some diversity to this, you know, camp. Yeah. And that, it was the first one they were doing. So it was it was cool. Like The whole band went? Yeah. Oh, um, cool. for, for I mean, I went and I, you know, I, I went and and then he that a few days later the band was able to come to, and yeah. then we all got through that, we got to meet and play for Bayland. That's when he decided to produce us. So it all happened like, but that that whole connection started through banjo, you know. Yeah. So his his part really sounds like it's almost singing along with you and Abby the way the banjo works and it makes yeah, me wonder a, was that a, like a live cut no uh, we did so the bassist and I played it live uh-huh. and then he and Abby overdubbed well they 
man, they made it sound really natural. Yeah, we because did practice. It isn't... We practiced it all together though before. We okay. practiced it on their porch, and uh, we got it together. And then we just had to cut it on a different day. And they, they, you know, they had an immunocompromised child, so they weren't going into the studio with other musicians. We okay. did this. So this was in March, you know. And, well, uh, somehow it managed to sound really natural. Yeah, it has, they a, did. Li- it has a life feel. Too, so. Well, and then, um, you know, aside from the music, the the song has quite a powerful underlying message, basically just promoting humanity <laughs> t- toward humans, as as it turns out. Yeah, that you um, know, a lot of I I often get labeled as is political. You know, I'm not political. I, I hate politics. I have no interest in them. I'm. I, I say things that are humanitarian, and then because of the media is produced in this country, it's labeled as is is political. Mm-hmm. It seems ridiculous to me. But Every whatever. opinion has to be associated with a yeah. It's like sports. A, a I mean, party. American politics are oftentimes just like sports. It's just entertain. It's just another entertainment industry. It has a lot of has a many you know, wide-reaching effects on people's lives, but it's still, by and large, just basically entertainment, seems to me. There's not much engagement, particularly of, you know, us, most people. So then the fact that this song was written based on, like, a pretty heart-wrenching type of experience you had, Mm -hmm. what is the message that you would hope listeners take away from from hearing about this? To go to my website, uh, joetroop.com and go to the tab that says mercy and learn about this little migrant shelter that I uh, volunteer at. I'm trying to help them raise money to provide mm-hmm. for child psychologists and, uh, you know, food, water, a place to sleep, basic, basic amenities. You know, that's what I hope people would learn that, you know, that they can help and to give them money. That's, that's what my greatest hope for people listening to this podcast would be, you know, either one that they donate, to Cruzando Fronteras to get money directly to this one migrant shelter that I can guarantee will put every penny towards the betterment of the lives of really afflicted people. Mm-hmm. Or uh, second option is to go to the borderlands and go the same uh, through common ground on the border, which is a camp that I'm affiliated with uh, so that you can see it with your own eyes. Um, it will revolutionize your world. And that's every January, I think mid-January, you can go down for a few days and, and, and be led a- across both sides of the border and see what's happening down there with your own eyes. It's a very great opportunity to to expand your notion of, of what's happening down there. And it's important. It's almost like I feel like it should be civic duty for people that have the opportunity to learn because experiential learning is is the only learning that really means anything grasping something intellectually doesn't have any, no tiene peso. It doesn't have any weight. You know, it's just, you, you've got to experience life and in getting an experience like that will, will give you context for your own life in a way. And I think, I think in the United States, there's, there's a lot of lack of, particularly in, in the middle class, I would say there's a, there's a lack of adventurousness. Like there's kind of a complacency and a comfort. There's a lot of comfort Creature comforts, screens, Netflix, foods, ice cream. <laughs> Definitely couches. an abundance of, of all those yeah, com- things. Comfort. And that comfort, but going and being uncomfortable for a little while can really help people be inspired to do stuff. I don't know. So what I, I just would really impel people, uh, try to compel people to, to go down to the common ground on the border and, 
And, uh, and if you can't go and you, you, sh- you know, just don't, don't have it in you, at least help out migrants by, you know, give them 20 bucks or a thousand bucks or 10,000 bucks. Yeah. Or dollar. You said they do this every January. January. That makes it seem like it's a tour group. Is that sort of what it's like? Yeah. Like you, it's you're like part you, of a, you're big... part of a camp. A camp. Okay. Not many people go, but, but, but very few people will prioritize spending a few days in the borderlands to see what it's like with their own eyes. But if you if you have an inkling of wanting to see that, it, it, it would change your life and it's easy. It's not that expensive. You just have to go. Mm-hmm. It's one of those experiences that, you know, you can get like educational experience. It's, I mean, a lot of people travel to try. I, I don't ever travel. I don't like to just travel. Of course I've, I'm saying that, but I've done that like <laughs> obscene amounts. I've just, yeah. you know, I bounce around all the time, but I, I like to go have experiences when, yeah. when I can, and, and Lord, that's a life changing, a life changing experience. Whereabouts is this border town? Are we talking California? Nogales. No, it's southern Arizona, okay. south of Tucson. Got it. Mm-hmm. Very good. I will definitely check that out, and I hope. Yeah, I share your hope that other people do. Cool as well. Django's Palace. It's a or you say it with the proper Django's Palace. Yeah, that's my go. tango. So this is a tango. Tell me, tell me what the. I, I have a rudimentary knowledge of thinking that I might know what a tango is, but what are the elements of tango that distinguishes this? Well, I think it's like this rhythm. It's very like piazzale. Phrasing. Like that's, I've got my fifth string down to an F sharp. Uh, what makes it tango? I don't know. Tango has, it's a contemporary tango. It's not. That's tango rhythm. That's just the rhythm. It also has like a milonga. The second part is like, you know. Just beef that. There's a lot of hardcore. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what makes a tango. <laughs> this is certainly <laughs> a... That's more like Django. That sounds like a Django Reinhardt kind of phrase. Shango's uh, okay. Palace. Like, and I, I lived it. I lived with a bunch of swing musicians, French jazz enthusiasts in Buenos Aires in this kind of like huh. dude house for a long time. And uh, jokingly, we called it Shango's Palace. It was kind of like this crusty apartment, <laughs> and they call it Django's Palace because it was all you know. Django Reinhardt enthusiasts. I yeah. was playing fiddle with them for a time. So I wrote this song kind of like an, as an homage to that era in my life and to that group of friends, Shango's Palace. Yeah, cool. Heaven on Earth. Got, that's a awesome feel to that one. Yeah, it's like um, a kid's song, sort of. Right. I, I also think it just bookends well with Horizon. You know, you have a lot of social commentary, yeah. but like you're, the album doesn't end up sounding like just 
a list of grievances when you when you leave yeah, people yeah. with like a, a hopeful yeah a hopeful vibe. Yeah, I play that on guitar, and there's like this kind of like chamame uh, fiddle, twin fiddling that I do on that track too. And there's a ton of community involved, like uh, Lou Furtado, one of my young festival friends that I've known since she was a little child. Uh, she's playing banjo. You can sing on there as is Olivia, Olivia Fernandez, who's also uh, a person that I've known since she was a child huh. and Reed Stutz, who's a younger musician friend of mine. And there's a bombo Leguero, you know, an Argentinian dude who lives in Winston-Salem that plays that Argentinian uh, big bass drum. Um, he plays that on several tracks on the album and, it's an interesting mix that, yeah, it goes from horizon to heaven, you know, it just keeps ascending. Like, it's kind of like horizon has all this nature and then heaven on earth also is a very nature oriented song. Uh-huh. And then at the end of it, uh, it's cuidenos amigos que se han ido, uh, help us friends who have gone on up above somewhere beyond the sky. Que su luz por siempre permanezca. Uh, may your light forever shine. May your light forever remain. And at dusk, you dance as fireflies. So it's kind of like, you know, in two languages, but that's the idea. Like the idea of the spiritual world, heaven on earth. You know, those who have gone on are here with us dancing as fireflies at dusk. a beautiful image that I conjured up and wanted to share with the world bilingually. Yeah. Like, and then it, and then it kind of, the track plays on this whole, like whole Latin grass thing that I've been exploring for so, so long. And it will inevitably be kind of like one of my trademarks because you just don't have time to explore everything. Even though I'm going to try, I'm going to try to keep exploring new stuff. I think that is definitely very much a part of my music. Now. I, I love all these cross pollinations I, yeah I, lo- I, I love all of it i love that track i was uh you know really happy with how that came out and the whistling and uh all the vocals you know omar ruiz lopez did a lot of the singing with me like we just went and you know there's a ton of voices on there but a lot of right. them are me and omar <laughs> and then there's a uh, lizzie ross um and then olivia and uh lou and read uh it's just a lot of cool voices happening and cool music you know yeah. cool musicians Absolutely. Lending their services to that track. It's a big track. What banjo are we hearing from you uh, throughout that album? Um, this is just an entry-level Chinese gold star. It's the one I got it for like 600 bucks at a pawn shop in North Carolina or at a music <laughs> store in North Carolina in 2007-ish. And I've just been, you know, 
finally commissioned a banjo to be made for me by my friend John Hamlet Sleuthier. Finally okay. going to get a good banjo because this thing is limited. It's always been limited, but it certainly sounds good. It sounds great. Yeah, yeah. it sounds great. You don't know, banjos are banjos, you know. Like I, I played every banjo in Bailiff basement. Uh, you know, there's a lot of them, and uh, my conclusion was that they're just all banjos. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like I really don't think I don't think banjos are. They're not like celestial objects. They're beautiful tools made by humans, but they're still all banjos. That's what I like about banjos. I think if it's kind of like yeah. a kind of a limited sort of crusty sort of Frankenstein-y thing. It's not like this. I hate when people make it into this ooh la la sort of of the academy style like thing. It's I just think it's kind of a you like the gritty nuts and yeah, bolts. It's just kind of like a aspect of it. Don't get me wrong. I, I like the challenge of taming it. Like I think that's mm-hmm. noble pursuit. I, I do. I do recognize that it's very hard, and that I, I don't think a lot of people do it well or with class. A lot of people do it very well, but without class. Mm-hmm. So it's like an instrument that hasn't really seen a, a ton of like real musically inclined people play it <laughs> i think it's been played by a lot of tinkerers and well that's uh, an amusing perspective to get right because what we think of you know the the history of like violin it's had hundreds of years uh, yeah head start on right you know our, our yeah, modern the banjo banjo is like style. The, the you know the wild wild west if, if you will you know it's like it, it's still relatively unexplored right I, th- I think it is is well suited to do a lot more than it has done, you know. And and thankfully, the stigma of the past is wearing off a little bit. I think so. You know, it, it, we've gotten past that. So, like, you know, Bela in his career, he had to deal with that a little bit more than someone my age will have to deal with it. Because you know, like Gen Zers are like, "Yo, that's dope. What is that?" I was like, "It's a banjo." They're like, "Oh, cool." Yeah. I've never seen one. I was like, wow, this is cool. Yep. They have no idea. Yeah, there's what this pop is. musicians who play them. And, sure. And so yeah, like it's kinda it's kind of an interesting moment. You know, it's and it is it's just a great instrument. It can do so many things. Like I'm just like, you know, I can't so like still in Django's Palace tuning. There's all these, like, I just, I keep finding these new, like. Cool things to do. Yeah. They could do a lot more than. I don't know. I just think, uh, you know, I, I hope a lot of people go towards the instrument with a, with an open mind. And, you know, not everyone has to play bluegrass on it for certain. Of course. You know, the course. technique the technique has been pioneered. Now it's a great technique. Now it's just there. And uh, doing the rolls, of course, is cool. But, I, you know, I, I don't even think you'd have to roll. I roll a lot because I, I do it as part of my, But I don't think you'd have to necessarily roll in the banjo, just single string. It's cool, you know. Yeah. Some pl- some players might come a- along and just be like, eh, "I don't really like to roll." That'd be great. Just come at it from a whole different, yeah, angle. whole different angle. Yeah. yeah. So that's uh, most importantly. How do people purchase this music or keep track of of what you're doing out on tour? And sure. Yeah. Well, o- you other know, internet things. Follow me on social media. I guess. Uh, I'm for now mostly Instagram. I do have a Facebook. I don't. I never had like an artist page on Facebook, so. Nor do I think I'll start one at this rate because it's just, you know, it's kind of like 
a vestige of the past anyway, Facebook. So Instagram, I'm being encouraged to do TikTok. <laughs> but, you know, my good old-fashioned website, I put a lot of love into my website, JoeTroop.com. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll be touring next year. I'd love to, you know, for people to see this new trio that I have with Trey Boudreaux and uh, Cesar Bacaro, this Louisiana-based trio. It gets my endorsement. I saw I saw you earlier tonight and, yeah, loved it and loved the album. So thanks a lot for making awesome. the time. Thank you, Keith. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. All the sound clips on this episode come directly from Joe's new album, Borrowed Time, which you are definitely going to want to check out. Extra special thanks to today's Patreon supporter of the show. That's Drew Commons. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast to find out how you can support the show and about all the uh, rewards that I'm offering for those who do choose to do so. Uh, Don't forget the VIP lounge, one of those rewards, which is this upcoming Sunday, November 28th at 12 p.m. noon Eastern. And that's going to wrap it up for this episode. I will see you all next time.